Well, greetings, everybody. This is Pastor Tyler. Thank you so much for tuning in to our New Dimensions online worship experience. So excited that you're here with us today. And if you have your Bibles, why don't you go to Genesis chapter 18, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 18. And I just want to say two things before we get into the word. The first is thank you so much for tuning in to our special midweek Bible study or midweek message uh, entitled Hold On. It's a special message of lament, hope, and action on behalf of Black Life, and I hope that you are encouraged by it. I just want to shout out the incredible team uh, that put it together, Chris Hendricks, Maurice Hendricks, Max Petion, and of course, my wife, Mylena Burns. Um, that small team just turned it around within 24 hours, and I hope that it was some encouragement to you. I hope that you were able to see certain things within it that encouraged you, that uplifted you, that uh, maybe gave you some peace, maybe gave you a moment of joy, and, and hope you felt loved, hope you felt seen, hope you felt valued. And, uh, you know, just as we're going through this time, in this season, and we'll talk a little bit about it today in our text and in our word, but I just want to encourage you to embrace the moment that we're in, and as we embrace this moment, to remain rooted in prayer, to remain rooted in the disciplines, to remain rooted in the things that God has called for us to do. I believe that this is a Kairos moment, and I believe that the people of God should rise up. The people of God should stand. The people of God should display lament, hope, and action in this time. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to watch it, that presentation is still up on our Facebook page or our YouTube page. Wherever you're watching, you'll be able to find it. It's entitled Hold On. And my last announcement is I want to personally congratulate my parents, who are the founding senior pastors of this church, Pastor Greg and Diane Burns, on their 38th wedding anniversary. They celebrated this past Friday. Uh, phenomenal. I'm so proud of them, so happy for them. I think that deserves an applause. 38 years, I think that deserves an applause, right? I'm clapping by myself, but I know you're clapping at home too. Uh, you should probably give them a standing ovation. And uh, we acknowledge and appreciate them. And they're the founding senior pastors of our church. And get this, still the senior pastors of our church. Now, a lot of people ask, where are they at? What are they doing? Well, the young people are bearing the load right now. We're dealing with the online stuff, and we're trying to keep the energy high, but we have not forgotten about the people who are leading our church so well, who have founded our church. And I encourage you to send them a card, send them a special note, a gift card. You can inbox me. I'll give you their cash app. You can drop something in their cash app. I'm telling you, sewing into their lives. They have meant so much, done so much behind the scenes for our church. And I want us as a church to honor them them. Those who, who rule over you, those who lead you are worthy of double honor, and I want them to receive that. Mom, Dad, I love you. Um, I thank God for you, and we're so proud of you. Um, well, so before we get into the word in Genesis chapter 18, let's pray. Father God, we acknowledge your presence in this place. We acknowledge that you are here regardless of where we are, regardless of if we're in our living room, our kitchen, or our bedroom. You are present here with us. So Father God, would you illuminate the, the word that you will speak today in our hearts. May it come alive to us. May we feel your presence tangibly and may we follow your path principally, God. May we do everything that you have called us to do. There can't be a fire in this place. There can't be a fire in a home. If there is an iceberg behind this pulpit, so God, would you light me on fire that I may burn for you, that I may burn for your truth and your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer in whom I trust. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen, amen. Now, if you know anything about me, you know that I absolutely love the sport track and field. 
I love track and field so much because I was a participant in track and field. Ran track in high school, and I ran the sprints, right? So I did the 100, the 200, the 400, the 4x1, four the 4x400 four meter relays. And I also tried to do long jump and high jump. I'm going to be honest with you, that didn't go too well. But I absolutely loved running track. There was actually this weird camaraderie that happens at a track meet. I love the pacing of it, love the feel of it, love the atmosphere of it. And track is such an interesting sport because track, if you know anything about it, it's all about time, especially the running events, all about time, whether short distance, middle distance, or long distance. It's about if you're running your personal best. It's about if you're running faster than someone else, your personal record. It's about state records and city records and school records and world records once you get to a certain level. But what most people don't understand is track isn't just a sport about time, it's also a sport about timing. It's not just a sport about how fast you run, it's about when you run fast. It's not just time, it's also timing. Uh, no better place that this is illustrated than a, a guy named Matthew McKenzie Robinson. They called him Mac Robinson. He was born in Cairo, Georgia in 1914, and he was born as a six foot one and 170 pound, eventually grew into a six foot one, 170 pound sprinter. He was a little bit taller, a little bit leaner, a little bit bigger than the other sprinters were. And after setting some national collegiate junior college records, he tried out for the Olympics in 1936, ended up making it, and he ran the world record in the 200. Ran the world record in the 200. As a matter of fact, he shattered the world record in the 200. Only problem is, uh, Matthew Robinson was running against someone who was faster than him, a guy named Jesse Owens. So Matthew Mack Robinson ended up getting the silver medal, and Jesse Owens ended up winning the gold medal. Now, remember, Mack Robinson broke the world record. Mac, Mac Robinson did everything you were supposed to do. Mac Robinson had trained. Mac Robinson had submitted himself to the rigors of discipline so that he would be able to carry out the, his best possible performance. Yet it was not enough. Yet it was not enough for him because he was running the right time, but it was the wrong timing. Interestingly enough, Mac Robinson, he had a younger brother, his name, Jackie Robinson. You may have heard of him. But Mac Robinson illustrates for us that it's possible to run the right time, but be at the wrong timing. Right time, wrong timing. You know, whenever I think about right time and wrong timing, there's another guy that always comes to mind. You may have never heard of this man. His name is Ronald Wayne. And in 1976, there was a businessman named Ronald Wayne, and he bought into this startup company, and he wanted to provide the company with adult supervision. That's literally what his title was, adult supervision. He wanted to oversee mechanical engineering and also documentation. And in exchange, the co-founders, who were very young at the time in 1976, they gave him a 10% stake in the company. Seems pretty substantial, seems legit. And on April 1st, 1976, Ronald Wayne sat down at his typewriter and he drew up this agreement outlining each man's responsibilities making his role with the company official. He also, get this, drew the company's first logo, which was used for less than a year before being replaced by the symbol that you may know now. Now, now he grew concerned over time. He started to feel a little bit worried, because remember, he's the adult in the room, and he started to think that there was going to be a number of debt, a number of debt uh, incursions that would come onto his credit record. He felt really ashamed of the fact that he was going to have to take on so much debt, and so, you know, at, at a certain point, one of the founders had taken out a $15,000 loan, and so he looked around and he said, I don't know if this is going to work, and so, uh, you know, only after 12 days of being with the company, only after 12 days of being a part of this startup, providing adult supervision, 
Ronald Wayne sold his stock in this company, all 10%, for $800. $800. He worked for 12 days for $800 and then sold his stock. But here's the thing. In 2018, this company hit a historic $1 trillion market cap value. This company, of course, is Apple. Ronald Wayne had 10% stock in Apple and sold it at the wrong time. Perhaps did the right transaction, but at the wrong timing. Right time, wrong timing. I'll never forget one of my favorite hip-hop artists. He's a guy who actually came to our church to rap. His name is The Truth. And The Truth, in his first debut album, his first track, his intro on the album, he starts the album by saying this, either this life is meaningless or its meaning is eclipsed by a series of events that satisfy for the moment. Listen, but once your moment is past, your moment's the past. Once your moment is past, your moment's the past. I want to talk about something today. The sermon title today is, I missed my moment. Type that in the comments. I missed my moment. You know, we've opened up this series now. It's called Views. And Views means God-sized perspective for human-sized problems. And the text, the theme phrase for this or the theme sentence for this um, sermon series is very simple. It says, it is impossible to accomplish our purpose without perspective. God-sized perspective for human-sized problems. It is, incomp- it, is, it is impossible to accomplish our purpose without perspective. And so that's where we get this problem. The human-sized problem today is I missed my moment. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like Mac Robinson? You ever felt like Ronald Wayne? You ever felt like life passed you by? You ever felt like you should have been up on something and you were just a step too late, maybe a few years too late, maybe a few months too late, maybe a few days, a few hours too late? I missed my moment. All of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have had points and times in our lives where we feel like we have missed our moment. Perhaps you've been working for years and the promotion seems to be on its way, but you're at the right place at the wrong time because there's so many other people that are esteemed higher than you in the company. And you look around and you say, I must have missed my moment. Maybe you and your spouse have been waiting until you are financially stable in order to have children, in order to expand your family, and you get to that financially stable place, and then all of a sudden you look around and you realize you are not able to produce children. Something is wrong with your body, and you look around and you ask the question, did I miss my moment? Maybe you've been serving and toiling in obscurity, and right at the moment when you should be stepping out, maybe it's the time, right? Maybe you've graduated from grad school, you've got your master's, Maybe you're even higher than that. Maybe you got your doctorate. Maybe you just graduated from high school and it seems as though you should be progressing and stepping out, but the things aren't lining up in the way that they should. Now it's a a coronavirus pandemic and now you're not able to celebrate your, your high school graduation and you're looking around and you're saying, this is the right thing, but it's at the wrong timing. Have you ever felt like you missed your moment? Much of what we think about time From a micro or individual perspective, it's all about missing a moment. It's all about being in a moment. There's something, a phenomenon I want to explain to you if you've never heard of it. It's called FOMO. You ever heard of that? FOMO, F-O-M-O. It stands for the fear of missing out. 
And FOMO, it's something that was added to the dictionary in 2013, and it refers to this nervous or anxious feeling that a person gets when they realize that they're not attending a social event, either because they're not invited or they just didn't feel like going. Or when you look on your timeline and then you're scrolling through and you see all your friends were at a birthday party and you wonder, did my invite get lost in the mail? Perhaps you're looking at someone going on a trip and you're saying, man, I really wish I could experience the same things that they're experiencing. You know, social media can lie to us. It makes us think that we're missing out on some things that we're not. But, but nonetheless, FOMO, it really influences us younger folk. It influences millennials. It influences Gen Z because FOMO is especially common in that age range. And in fact, one survey finds that about two-thirds of people in this age group from 18 to 33, that's my age group, admitted to experiencing FOMO fear of missing out on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, get this, this is not a Christian source. FOMO causes people to keep their attention focused on the outward instead of the inward. (laughs) FOMO causes people's attention to be focused on outer things than on the inner contents of their heart. If you're so concerned about missing your moment, if you're so concerned about missing out, you will start to obsess about what other people have instead of what God has already given you. If you're so obsessed about FOMO, you'll start to look at other people rather than looking and monitoring the contents and the intents of your heart. If you're so focused on FOMO, you'll look at what other people have and the relationship that they seem to think is working out and you don't see the behind the scenes, you only see the highlights and not the bloopers. And so what you begin to think is that they have it better than me God, did I miss my moment? And God, what's going on? I missed it. I may be at the right place, but it seems like it's the wrong timing. And the problem of I miss my moment, it requires perspective. But before we get there, let me ask you one more time. Have you ever felt like you've missed your moment? Have you ever felt like you've missed your opportunity? Have you ever felt like you've missed your season? Have you ever felt like you've missed your time? We're, we're in a moment right now. We're in a moment right now culturally, and I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, and so you can go back to hear a little bit more of of it in detail, but I think it's important for us to acknowledge that it's possible for us to miss a moment that we should recognize. So many commentators are looking around after the death of Ahmaud Arbery and the murder of Breonna Taylor and the murder of George Floyd, and what people are saying is, this is a moment unlike any other in the country's history. But see, for those of us who have been following the news for a while, we recognize that in 2012, Trayvon Martin was killed. And in 2014, Michael Brown and Eric Garner were killed. And in 2016, Alton Sterling and Philando Castile were killed. And so we recognize that there have been these moments before, but just now it seems as though there's a moment that's converging. But the only reason why we think it's a moment is because we're paying attention to it. See, sometimes it's not that a moment has passed us by. It's that we're not paying attention And perhaps God is saying today, I want to bring your attention into focus. I want to answer what may seem to be your missed moment with a little, your human problem with a little God-sized perspective. You you know, God has an answer for this idea, I miss my moment. You know what God's answer is? It's an interesting phrase. It's found in the book of Genesis 18. It's found in Romans chapter 5. It's found in so many different places. Psalm 75, it's found in so many different places in our Bible. And God's answer to missing our moment is something called his appointed time. Type that in the comments. God's appointed time. 
See, see, in the Bible, there's a difference between chronos. Chronos is what stands for chronology. It's sequential, linear time. It's something that continues going on regardless of what happens in our world. Chronos is why we have ages. Chronos is why we can celebrate years and anniversaries and birthdays and accomplishments and longevity. And chronos is important, but, but chronos must submit. Chronos is not ultimately over and dominating God's appointed time. And God's appointed time is something different. It's called kairos. And kairos is the right timing, the right occasion, the right now for things to happen. And Kronos is about seconds, but Kairos is about seasons. Kronos is about minutes, but Kairos is about manifestations. Kronos is about incidents, but Kairos is about providence. At the right time, that's what the scripture says, or at the appointed time. Psalms chapter 75, verse 75, verse 2, it says, I choose the appointed time. That's what God says. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. <laughs> Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Finish this in the chat. Finish this phrase in the comment section. He may not come when you want him to, but he's... He may not come when you want him to, but he's always on time. God needs some Kairos-level believers who do not look at the moments of Kronos and think that they've missed God's appointed time. I don't know about you, but if I had to choose between the Kronos moment of humanity and the Kairos appointed time of eternity, I would choose Kairos every single time. See, if I miss out on my human moment, then I miss out on money or a job or an opportunity or a window of human chance. But if I miss out on God's point in time, I miss out on favor and blessing and supernatural provision and greatness. I would rather have God's appointed time. I'd rather have Kairos any day of the week. And some of us, we're looking around and we're saying, I've missed my moment. No, you've missed the Kronos, but not the Kairos. Perhaps you have missed the Kairos, but God is so interesting. He's so good. He's so gracious to us that he will allow a moment to come back around. He will allow a moment to come back around. And if we're paying attention, we can act on the Kairos time, the Kairos God-appointed time that he has given to us. And that's what happened in our text, Abraham and Sarah, very familiar passage of Scripture. And God had given them a promise in Genesis chapter 12. God gives Abram a promise, but he tells him first to get up and go out of your country, out of your land, away from your family members. And through a series of events, Abraham is in the middle of a journey, and he stopped in a place, and then God approaches him. And he says something in Genesis chapter 18 to 14. He, he extends the appointed time to a, a specific promise. He connects it to something that he had promised to him. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. More on why that's so audacious and more on why that is so brash and bold and unbelievable a little bit later. But the truth is, God is connecting appointed time to the promise. Don't miss this. God's appointed time is connected to his promises for us. God's appointed time is connected to the fact that he's so good enough that he's looking out for us in the future. He's somewhere in the future where we are. He's, he's outside of time, but he still yet peers inside of time. And so he's in the future, even though he's in the past with us. And God is not bound by human time. He can see it all at once. He can see the whole board. And what he's saying is, my appointed time is connected to a promise that I made for you. Don't miss this. Just because you may think you've missed your moment does not mean that God has not been good enough 
have to promise you something. Sometimes we look around and we say, God, I've missed my moment. But the reality is God has a promise that's waiting for you right at your appointed time. Someone type in the comments, my appointed time is coming. My appointed time is coming. But you have to be able to recognize it. You have to be able to analyze it. And in Genesis chapter 18, we see some things that Abraham is able to look at. Abraham is able to take and Sarah and Abraham learn a lesson in this moment about God's appointed time. Just three things and I'll let you go. First of all, we see it in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. <laughs> Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. It's interesting that it says here that Abraham receives visitors in the heat of the day. Look at verse 1. In the heat of the day, people came up. Now, this is contra to Jewish culture. In Jewish culture at that time, what people would have done is they would have done their traveling and their working early in the morning or late at night. Because in the heat of the day, it's hot. We live in Pensacola, Florida. We know what it's like to be high noon. We know what it's like to have triple-digit temperatures or triple-digit heat index. We know what it's like to be moving and working outside in the heat of the day. So you like to get up a little bit early or go to sleep a little bit late at night and do your work late in the evening outside because what you're trying to do is you're trying to avoid the heat of the day. In other words, Abraham had visitors at an unexpected time. Don't miss this. Abraham had visitors at an unexpected time. My first point is this. God's appointed time is unexpected. God's appointed time is unexpected. God likes to show up when you're least expecting him. God likes to show up when you're not prepared. God likes to show up at times when you think you have been able to figure him out. You think you've been able to tie him down. You think you've been able to figure out when he's going to arrive based upon what someone else has done or based upon how he's moved in their lives. But the reality is God says, I'm going to show up when I need to show up. And Abraham is chilling at the tree and then God walks up. And God in a theophany or a Christophany, whichever you prefer, a pre-incarnate manifestation of his presence in a human body steps up with the angel and says, I'm here. And God's appointed time was unexpected for Abraham and Sarah. I have a question for you. Can God mess with your schedule? <laughs> Can God alter your timetable? Can God mess with the plans that you've made? See, I think some of us, when we look around, we think we missed our moment, not because God hasn't moved, but because we've been worshiping our plans, not the creator of our plans. We've been worshiping our, our, our seasons. We've been worshiping the things that we thought. We've been worshiping our goal sheets and our vision boards, not the one who's created everything. And God wants you to come to him honestly, but the reality is you might not like the answer that he gives you. See, God is going to do some things that are unexpected. He's not always going to work within your timetable. And some of us have been telling God our plans rather than listening to his plans. Some of us have been thinking, okay, God, I know what this is going to be. I've got it all figured out. And God says, see, that's where you're wrong. See, my appointed time, it's unexpected. And if you're going to follow after me, then you have to be willing for my unexpected arrivals to shake up your plans, to shake up your schedule, to flip the tables of your heart. And what this element of appointed time does is it challenges our need for control. Do you have a need to control the narrative? Do you have a need to control what God is doing in your life? You know, there's something I realized over the past few years, 
And I realized over the past few years that I had this ruthless desire to control the narrative of my life. I wanted people to view me a certain way. I wanted them to see me in a certain light. I wanted them to have a certain view of my dynamic or how I came across. And I wanted to be so curated and so careful about how I presented myself because I was more concerned about how I looked than actually who I was. And I was more concerned about how I appeared from the outside than what was going on on the inside. And what God is saying is you got to let go of your control. You got to let go of the need to control your own narrative. You've got to let go of the need for God to move in expected ways. God always arrives when we aren't expecting him. He may not come when you want him to, right? Again, but he's always on time. He's unexpected. And God wants to challenge your control today, church. God wants to challenge the boundaries and the boxes that you have placed him in. He busts out of boxes. He evades boundaries. We cannot limit the God of the universe. We cannot keep him into our expectations. And some of us, maybe perhaps that's why our relationship with God is stale is because we've been looking for God to move in expected ways. He says, we're in the midst of a pandemic and a cultural phenomenon of racism. And so many people are losing their jobs. And so many people, there is cultural division. And you expect me to move in the same way I moved in 2019 and 2018. And God is saying, why don't you think I'm gonna move unexpectedly to fit the season that you're in, you have to understand my appointed time. But that's not the only thing as we see here in Genesis chapter 18, verse 3, that he says, <laughs> Moses says this, or Abraham, excuse me, says this. He says, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, pay attention to that, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Then he says, let a little water be brought, and then you all may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour, knead it, and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk in the calf that had been prepared and set these before the men. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. While they ate, he stood off to the side. You see, there's something interesting. Abraham recognizes the moment that he's in, recognizes that, that this is some sort of appointed time, and he respects and honors the time. So not only is God's appointed time unexpected, God's appointed time, write this down, must be respected. God's appointed time is unexpected, but then when it arrives, God's appointed time must be respected. It's interesting that here in this passage, Abraham calls God. Now, now for people who are curious, where is God in this passage? Some people say he's all three, that he's present in the Trinity right there. Others would say, no, it's just one of the men and the other two are angels. I don't really know which one. I lean towards the second side, but you never know. There's different scholarship and there's different opinions on that matter. That's not so much important as we know that God is present in this story. And he says, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, if I found favor in your eyes, Adonai, which means master, it's speaking to God's control. It's speaking to God's in charge. It's speaking to God is in authority. It's speaking to God is overarching. God is sovereign. And it's interesting because Abraham steps up and says to God, my Lord, the one who is in control, <laughs> don't miss that, the one who is in control, the master of time, the master of my seasons, the master of my life, 
You who are in charge, if I have found favor in your sight, stay here with me. And I just want to say something. You can't call God the Lord of time, then get upset at his timing. You can't call him master of the universe and then get upset when he comes when you're not expecting him. You can't call God the one who is sovereign and then get upset that he doesn't honor your human autonomy. That's not how this works. Be human. All you want to be human, I'm all for it. But the reality is sometimes God is going to do some things that confound our natural wisdom. And when he does, are we able to respect it? Are we able to honor it? Let me ask you this question. Can you serve God in the middle of unprepared seasons? Can you serve God in the middle of unprepared seasons? Here's something I didn't understand about God when I was younger. I thought that God was going to give me, once he called me, he was going to give me this time, right? He was going to give me this time to get my stuff together. He was going to give me this time to get my life together, get my finances together, to get my ministry life together, to learn all the things to get all the proper education. I thought he was going to move very linear with me, sequential. I was obsessed with Kronos time. I was obsessed with things going in a certain way, going the expected way, the expected time, the expected path, the expected route. And then when God switched all that up, it seems like everything that I've done has been in reverse. Everything that I've done hasn't necessarily been the way that I would have drawn it up. But it's interesting because now I feel that God is trying to teach me something. See, what this element of unexpected or appointed time challenges, it doesn't just challenge our control, but it challenges our flexibility. Are you willing to adapt when God moves? Are you willing to be flexible on the fly? See, some of us, the problem isn't that we've missed our moment, but we're not adjusting to the moment that God has introduced to us. God says, you see the moment and you're still in it, but you have to adjust. You have to be flexible. Let me just say this. Just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it's going to work in the present and sure don't mean it's going to work in the future. Just because it worked for your kids when they were younger doesn't mean it's going to work for them in the future. Doesn't mean it's going to work for them now. And what God is trying to say, what he's trying to bring to our attention and our understanding is that I need you to be flexible even in the middle of unprepared seasons. Can you serve God? And some of you know this experientially. Some of you have been furloughed. Some of you have been laid off. Some of you have been in places where you've had to be tested and your faith has had to be stretched and your faith has had to be tried, and your faith has had to be pressed in, and you're looking around and you're saying, God, what are you doing? And God is saying, I know it's difficult, and I wish I could come down and grab you. I wish I could come down and skip the steps. I wish I could push you through to the next level, but the reality is I'm developing something in you, and the thing that I'm developing in you, it means that you have to respect the fact that it's not going to be the same way. It's not going to be the Kronos time. You have to respect my Kairos, my appointed time. And if you call God Lord, if you call him Adonai, then that means you have to respect the time that he has set up for you. Not only that, but finally in Genesis chapter 18, verse 11. So interesting that it says here that Abraham and Sarah were already very old. <laughs> and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself once they, once they had predictively prophesied, no, she's going to be with child. They had laughed. She had laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, <laughs> he's 100 years old, I'm 90, how's this going to work? Will I really have a child now? That's what verse 13 says. And is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's the question. It's the response. It's rhetorical. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? 
Ask yourself that. Is there anything too hard for my God? And then this is what God says. I will return to you at the appointed time. This is where it comes in. At the appointed time next year. And Sarah, your wife, who's past the age of childbearing, will have a son. It's impossible, God. There's no way it could happen. There's no way you're going to be able to move like this. Third point here, God's appointed time isn't just unexpected. It's not only must be respected, but God's appointed time cannot be restricted. God's appointed time cannot be restricted. In this moment, Abraham and Sarah felt as though their human restrictions were keeping God bound. They felt as though their human limitations, their human-sized problems were too much for God's perspective. And God says, I want to remind you of something. I want to give you a wake-up call. I want to give you a reality check. I want to help you with something. Let me help, help me help you in this case. Is anything too hard for me? You can sense the tinge of sarcasm. You can sense the edge in the divine. You can sense that God is a little miffed. God is a little perturbed. God is a little set on fire because he's saying, hold on now. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for me? Have you found anything yet? Have you found anything that's greater than me? Have you found anything that's more mighty than me? Have you found anything that's, that's more powerful than me? Have you found anything that I can't fix? Have you found anything that not possibly, but maybe, or probably, or could? Have you found anything that could confound me? And the answer to the rhetorical question is, of course, not. But here's the interesting thing. As we're asking, is anything too hard for God? Abram, or Abraham, as he was at this point after the covenant, only needed to remember what God had done for him before. Abraham, if he remembered what God did for him in the past, wouldn't have doubt about God, what, what God was able to do for him in the future. Abraham in Genesis chapter 14 took on four kings with 318 trained household servants and routed them. Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 receives a covenant from God and his name is changed. Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 receives a promise from God about the son and then gets a confirmation of the promise in the next chapter. You see, sometimes the problem isn't that we think we've missed our moment. The problem is we've forgotten what God has already done for us. And if you think that God is restricted by your now, you only need to look to your past. And I think there are a few people, just a few, maybe three, four, maybe five people who can look back on their lives and say God has moved in miracle ways that cannot be explained that cannot be rationalized, that aren't logical to my natural brain, that aren't logical to my Kronos moments, but God has moved exactly at the time that I needed him. Some of you know this because financially you weren't supposed to make it. Financially, you were supposed to be evicted. Financially, you were supposed to be in a place where you went under. You were supposed to be in a place where you were on the street or you were homeless, but right at the right time, you got an unexpected check in the mail and God is saying, is anything too hard for me? Some of you know because you prayed for your children and at the moment when you thought that the relationship was irreparable, at the moment when you thought they were going off the deep end, you looked around and they came to a realization and someone said something to them that woke them up in their spirit and they rose up and they started to be who you knew God had called them to be and God is saying to you now, is anything too hard for me? 
Some of you have been in the place where you've looked around and you've been directionless in your life and you said, God, I don't know if you have called me to do anything of worth and of value. And then all of a sudden in one month, God turns around what was nomadic wandering, what was nomadic searching around, what was groping around in the darkness. He turned it around and gave you multiple job opportunities and multiple avenues to do the work that he has called you to do. And now he's asking you, is anything too hard for me? Is anything too hard for the Lord, church? God's appointed time cannot be restricted. I want to remind you of that. Can I speak prophetically over this church? Can I speak prophetically into the future over this body? This body is not restricted by Kronos. New Dimensions Christian Center is not restricted by the minutes and the seconds and the years. New Dimensions Christian Center is not restricted by the things that have happened in the past. New Dimensions Christian Center is not restricted by the giants. God is not restricted in us based upon what's happened or based upon what we think is difficult right now. I serve a God that looks down at our body, looks down at our group of believers and said, is anything too hard for me, church? I want you to write that down somewhere. I want you to write it down somewhere. Because it's an important rhetorical question to pray over your life. It's an important rhetorical question to ask yourself in the midst of what you're going through right now. Is anything too hard for God? I want to speak directly to some people who feel like you're facing situations that I didn't even mention. Sickness in your body. Pain in your soul. Weakness and fatigue in your spirit. You're despondent in your emotions. You feel as though no one understands. I want to speak directly to you. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And maybe if you're honest, you can't track all the things that have happened in the past like I can. You can't track all the things God has done, but your human-sized problem needs a little bit of God-sized perspective. You need to take a step back and say, God is greater. He can't be restricted, even if he's unexpected, and even if I need to respect it. Now I look around and I say, God cannot be restricted. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You say it until you believe it. You confess it until it becomes a reality. You place your faith not on your chronos moments, but on the kairos appointed time. I want to challenge you today. Write it down. Confess it every single morning when you wake up. May it be a faith declaration. May you see miracles take place in your life. Not because I said it, not because I want some good testimony, but because I truly believe in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, that God wants to move mightily in your life. God wants to move mightily on behalf of your family. And the Adonai, the master, the Lord of time, he looks down and he says, is anything too hard for me, church? Confess it. Believe it. Follow after it and watch God's appointed time come up unexpectedly. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of these, your people. I pray for those who are unsure, who are perhaps confused about what God is going to do. Confused about how you are going to move. Confused about the ways in which you have come through in the past. Perhaps even confused about the ways that they got into this situation right now. I pray right now, God, that you would give us boldness to realize that your appointed time is unexpected, that your appointed time must be respected. We must honor it, and that your appointed time cannot be restricted. Just because our situation doesn't look right doesn't mean that you are bound by it. 
the Kairos God overrides and supersedes the Kronos reality. So I pray for those right now. If that's you and you genuinely feel I have a Kronos situation and that Kronos situation, it's confounding my belief and my faith in a Kairos God. I want you to stretch your hand toward the screen right now. Just stretch your hand toward it. Nothing spooky, nothing mystical. It's just a point of contact between me and you. And I want to say to you, my brother, my sister, is anything too hard for the Lord? The greatest challenge is not confounding God. It's not restricting him. And I want you to speak by faith. Is anything too hard for my God? And if you truly, truly believe it, I believe God's going to show up. He's going to move. And even if you don't, I think he's going to prove it to you. So, Father, right now, I pray for those who have stretched their hands toward the screen. I pray that you would come down, show yourself strong and mighty in their lives. May they see the Kairos God show up this week because nothing is too hard for you. I've missed my moment. That's our human-sized problem. But the God-sized perspective is I have an appointed time, and nothing can stop it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, hey, everybody, this is Pastor Tyler again. Thank you so much for tuning in to the NDCC online worship experience. So if you want to take a step in God, I want to pause here. You know, normally I just breeze through this and say, hey, you can just put home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. But I think there might be someone out there who genuinely wants to have an encounter with God who wants to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hands right now. You can type home in the comments, but right now, first, I just want you to lift up your hands. And I just want you to say, even repeating after me, if that's you, you say, God, I want to give my life to you for real this time. I want to follow you in everything that I say and I do. Transform and change my life. Lift up your hands and say, God, come into my heart and save me. I repent of my sins. I repent of the way that I've been going, and I just want to follow you. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for what he's done on the cross. Thank you that he's an alive and risen, and thank you that I can make the choice to follow him. Come into my heart and save me. Transform me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we're so excited. We're proud of you. We want to celebrate you. We want to be excited with you and walk with you as well. You can type home in the comments or text home to the number at the bottom of the screen. It means so much that we're able to introduce Jesus to you. Once again, if you did not have the opportunity to give earlier in the service, you can do so in two ways. You can go to ndccpensacola.org and click offerings. Or you can mail it in to P.O. Box 6400, Pensacola, Florida, 32503. Y'all, I have enjoyed being in your house today. I've enjoyed it. It's exciting. And again, until further notice, we're going to continue to meet online. We don't want to put any single member at risk, but we're just going to value being here. We're going to continue to invest and be patient as we're led by the Lord to when we're going to gather together again. So join us next week for part two of the Views series. I'm really excited. God-sized perspective for human-sized problems. I hope to see you next week. And until then, be blessed, be safe, be healthy. We love you so much. Peace.